0: When you're not okay, you are not in a place to be more inclusive of others, to expand your horizons, to look at your, you know, implicit bias or your your default programming, and see if you want to change it.
1: Welcome back to the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Osborne, and. For this week's episode, we have a special treat, part two of our interview with Alexis Robertson, the Director of Diversity and Inclusion for the law firm of Foley & Lardner, based out of Chicago, Illinois. I hope you enjoy the second part of our conversation with Alexis, where we dive into her work as a diversity and inclusion specialist, and we talk about the crucial role, well-being, Plays in a law firm or any organization's diversity inclusion effort. Enjoy. Take care.
2: What you said about it being a lived experience reminds me of. I was listening to an African American uh, social worker talk about that, and he said, You know, for me, he, he asked white, white therapists and social workers, When did you think about your race, about being white? Mm-hmm. And for me, my gosh, when I had that question, I thought, I don't know, I guess my 20s maybe, or maybe even when I started doing diversity and inclusion work. And he said, you know, for him, it was when he was a young, young child. And that really, that really got my attention. I thought, wow, that, that says something. When you say, yeah, it's a lived experience. It's not like, well, uh, I have the luxury to consider my whiteness when I'm in my 20s or 30s. For you, it's uh, and for, for for folks in marginalized communities, it's something that's brought home to them, you know, almost at birth.
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, and so you end up having. Um, often, it gets to the unconscious competence with with some of these issues, and you may not be able to sort of state it the way that you would read in an educational text. But you've encountered things that, for whatever reason, you know you've had to think more about, and I, and I think that goes for all sorts of populations. Of course, race is front and center due to all the things that have happened in the world over the past. Sure. I guess at this point we're at what eight or nine months. But, but I think this comes up in a lot of contexts. And that's not to say that you know, we all can't go and get additional education about you know, structuring organizations and, and things like that. But I really do look back and I'm somebody who, for whatever reason, people often feel comfortable around me opening up in a variety yeah. of ways, whether it be in the DNI context or other personal context, attribute that to other aspects of my lived experience. You know, it would take me some time to break down why that is. Sorry, if this is getting like to be like a strange term, but that I'm often able to hold space for people to no, really it's, hold a, it's, a, a- it's
1: a good term. It's a good term and it resonates your whole approach really resonates with something that we've tried to emphasize as we have Wandered into or been drawn into doing some DI work with different firms and different organizations, we consider it like sacred space. Like, uh, you know, when a law firm would have us in to talk about these things, we're like, man, that's, you know, that's, you don't just do that with anybody. We really appreciate the opportunity to address this. And, and we try to come at it from that, that human perspective that, that the human connections are what's going to make a difference telling people statistics and showing them blah, 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 psychosocial, blah, 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 is going to really kind of go in one ear out the other. It may resonate with a few people, but what we have seen make a bigger difference is, hey, why don't you connect to, or why don't we help you or facilitate an opportunity for you to connect to the other people, people who are different from you and, and maybe different from you in ways that you can't see on the surface. Maybe they are the same You know, they appear the same race and ethnicity, but there's background that you don't know because you've never sat and had a conversation with
0: them. And and when you're seeking, and when you're seeking behavior change, you know, I I don't have the um, the background in kind of the brain science or neurology. But when you're seeking behavior change, and you almost always require that emotional component. Yes. Um, yes. and, it, and it's funny someone disagrees now from a system standpoint which I'm also very interested in I could just change your sure. behavior without you being emotionally signed up I could literally just change you know if I just move where your desk is like you're gonna sit yeah. in a different place yes. <laughs> right? right or I could take you to a 60 minute session appealing to you about the history of like why desks should be in the certain corner, but, but right. generally speaking, when we are doing one-off presentations, if we hope to change anything about an individual, there needs to be an emotional com- component for it yes. even to be remembered, frankly, we've all sat in presentations where we're like, wait, what did they say? No, and, that, yeah,
1: and- that's huge. That's, that's been one of our biggest things is we want people, uh, and in fact, we, it, it creates kind of a crazy mindset when we're dealing with, and I don't know if you ever have to deal with CLE, you know, approval process. Oh Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it'll drive us nuts sometimes because they're beating you up and being so insistent on where are your written materials? And did you write something new for this? And is it footnoted and all this stuff? And we're like, do you know what people do with written materials after? No,
0: it's actually a bit workshops? of a, it's, I, as someone you mentioned, you're into pedagogic, pedagogical yeah. technique. But most of the things, and I feel like a CLE person is going to come after me for this, but the things they require for CLE bear, have no bearing on actual adult yes. education. And it's most painful. of the things, yeah, like heavy, like lots of words in a PowerPoint, which will get you CLE yes. approval, is usually exactly what you don't need or what you, don't, what you want don't want in a right. good presentation.
1: We have, we have to explain and justify, you know, like, yeah, there's going to be a small group discussion here. What's the topic? Well, you'll, you'll know the topic, but that's it because- we believe actual learning happens in those conversations. And and we're okay with that. And, and we like it when we find, you know, there are some states that are progressive and welcoming and and understand, hey, you you need to do something different than just lecture at people, even though it is yes, lawyers.
0: Exactly. Um, you want to get, and it's one thing if I'm lecturing to you about the latest, you know, EEOC developments right. or, or, you know, the latest thing in copyright law. But for these more human subjects, really you're facilitating the learning. I you know, ideally the learning's not just coming through me, it's coming through the individuals who are attending. And that's yes. a much different sort of education.
1: You, you you want behavioral change, like you said. I don't want people to learn statistics about how can we be more diverse or less diverse. I may throw them some statistics just to say, hey, if you think we're doing all right, look at this. But you we, we want behavioral change. And if we want behavior change, you've got to engage the heart and the head of uh, one of the people. And, and then Michael, I want you to jump in with your thought. But uh, one of the uh, people who's influenced our thinking is, have you, have you read anything by Chip or Dan Heath, the Heath brothers?
0: Oh, no, um, I don't think so.
1: You know, one of them's a professor at Stanford, and the other's a professor at Duke, I think. And they both—one of them was studying marketing, and the other was studying urban legends and how they catch fire. And they both realized they were kind of looking at a lot of the same stuff.
0: That's amazing. Uh, and
1: a lot of the same things that make a video go viral are the same things that make an urban legend kind of take off and make a successful ad campaign. And so they've done a lot at looking at human behavior and what sticks with people. How do you do? Th- how do you give a message that? that people resonate with. But then, then, then they wrote a book about change management that's called Switch. It's fantastic because it talks about, they give you the metaphor of a, a elephant, basically, you know, people uh, oh, doing no, things. I'm,
0: the elephant and the rider. The elephant and the rider, I'm, yeah. I'm and very then, familiar with that, actually. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. So the, the, you got to have, you got to, you know, shape the path for the elephant. So that might be you put the desk somewhere. Hey, you're going to, you know, interact with these people. Your desk is going to be here. You make the path easier, but you've got to speak to the writer is the intellectual, but the elephant is the is the one that's motivated more emotionally. You've got to address all of that. Michael, what were you
2: about to say there? Alexis, I, I just wanted to go back to what you said about holding space. I think, particularly in diversity and inclusion work, I think that's so critical. And my guess is there's another word that's probably been used to describe you. Maybe not, but maybe a word that's similar, disarming. Uh, and it sounds like you are disarming, and that's, that's my experience with you and knowing you for about 35 minutes or so, but I think that's, I think that's so important. And particularly in subversive inclusion, lecturing is not going to cut it. And remember uh, after a program I did up here in Vancouver for for corporate lawyers, a white lawyer came up to me and said, I'm really glad you didn't lecture us about how we should be, because he would have, of course, I'm sure he didn't say this, but he would have gotten defensive, I'm sure, and stopped listening. That doesn't mean that I don't push back and then it's it's certainly important to push back and, and force folks to to think differently but when you said holding space i think that's that tells me that you that you do a wonderful a uh, wonderful job of what you do
0: well thank you for that it's funny you both have raised some of my favorite topics because and whether we're talking in the dni context or i mean ultimately dni is a lot of human behavior change There is that dichotomy, and uh, Chris, you said it, between the head and the heart. Um, I absolutely am familiar with the elephant and the rider analogy, and I actually think in organizations, we spend too much time on the rider. I'd like to spend a lot more time on the path
1: because the
0: bottom line is it's actually very hard to change both the rider and the elephant. And um, while it can be difficult to make a completely new road, should you create that road, they ultimately have no choice but to walk on it.
1: That's right. And you have to also shut down the old road sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> say, yes. It's so, closed. I'm so, sorry.
0: And so I, I love talking about how to change behavior from the individual standpoint, how to motivate people to change, how to make the emotional appeal to change, but realizing how tremendously difficult that is and how that's life's work stuff for most of yes. us, yes. I do wish organizationally, and, and the road for those who are wondering is, is systems. And in a lot of organizations, it's actually your talent management systems is what you should look at um, to improve all things related to people, which includes diversity and inclusion um, related things. But no, this is absolutely right. These are my favorite topics.
1: Well, and and to make sure we hit another of of your and our favorite topics, can you talk a little bit about, we, we alluded to it earlier, but the connection between paying attention to well-being and kind of holistic, you know, well-being for lawyers, for staff, and how that not only interacts with diversity and inclusion, but just with productivity as a professional.
0: Yes. And so I have to attribute some of this to to phenomenal uh, DNI consultants who talk a lot about this, which is Rithu Basin and Aaron Reeve. They both talked a oh, lot yes. about, about this connection. But if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I think right above the basics of like food and shelter is that need for belonging and inclusion. So our need to feel like we belong somewhere is not merely a nice to have. It's something that is wired in us as humans. And once we have a place to sleep and something to eat, we are looking for that feeling of, of belonging. But the catch is when you're not okay you are not in a place to be more inclusive of others, to expand your horizons, to look at your you know, implicit bias or your, your default programming and see if you want to change it. So right. when you are stressed, when you are burned out, when you are hungry, when you are sleep deprived, when you're frankly many of the things that we've all been encountering just due to what's happened this year. More you, are often, year, yeah. you are not going to have, um, the energy to expend on the, 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 like the kind of the, what feels like navel gazing, but isn't, but that, mm, am I the person I want to be? Am I fulfilled? Am I including others in the way that I should be? Because you'll be so focused on meeting your basic needs. So it's definitely a continuum. We need, we need one to have the other and, um, yeah, it's so important.
1: Well, especially if your stress level is high. I mean, we, we talk about this in every every workshop we do it comes up in some way there's an aspect of high stress that that creates tunnel vision which means get out of my way i got to get this you know brief filed i got to get this closing uh all the documentation together in, for the closing you're
0: in fight or flight you're yes. you're you're in what is it the the sympathetic nervous system is yeah. and to to stop and want to you know, really include others or to question your behavior so you can break patterns. you're not really in a place for that at that moment. You don't
1: have that you don't have the brain capacity or or the energy or the really it just doesn't hit your radar because you're in survival mode and the problem for a lot of the lawyers is we stay in and I say we because it's sometimes me, we stay in survival mode. we stay in what's the next thing? What's the next, you know, especially if we're going deadline to deadline, which is how I, careened a lot of my litigation practice and part of why getting out of it was was helpful for me to see hey, well, I don't I, I might be able to operate differently than just trying to keep up with the next deadline I I liked having time for reflection and time for hmm, you know how am I doing and what am I doing and where am I going but I think it's it's a a lot of too many lawyers consider it a luxury to stop and think about what's my purpose and am I achieving it they're just kind of surviving to the next thing.
0: And and frankly, in that moment, it does feel like a luxury when your body's not not as concerned about your survival. Um, And basically, you have too many tabs open, you have various stress cycles. And there's this great book called burnout. I think it's burnout unlocking the key to the stress cycle. And they talk about how you need to close those cycles. You need to tell your body it is okay, that it is safe. You know, it used to be that a lion was chasing you and when it stopped, you would shake it off, (laughs) you would calm back down. But, but now we always feel like a lion is chasing us and no, it's not a real lion. It's that brief that you have due and it's, you know, the demands of family and it's, and in some ways we're, you know, it's fortunate that we don't live in, you know, the state of nature anymore, but we have a lot of, um, stress that our body does not recognize for, you know, that we aren't in fact in danger. And it's imperative right. that we figure out a way to manage that because otherwise, I mean, we're literally shortening our lives. Like, I mean, that just kind of cuts to the chase, but it will take years off of your life if you're unable to manage the stresses that so many of us are under.
1: And I think that's one of the one of the upsides, if we can find an upside in sort of the COVID pandemic it's sort of, in in our perspective, from what we've seen, it has poured miracle grow on that concept of, you know, there are a bunch of people out there. There's some people who've been doing it for 25 years, trying to say, hey, lawyers, you need to pay attention to those kind of things, your stress cycle and how you're functioning and burnout and all of that. And then some people kind of started picking up the cause, and, and there's still it felt like kind of a, a a minority shouting in the wilderness, minority people shouting in the wilderness, hey, we need to pay attention to this. And now it's like, oh my gosh, everybody knows because just throw in working from home and managing everything from home and, and navigating things with your spouse or something, other or whatever it is, it's not an esoteric concept. And it's, it's, it's seen more for the importance of it because everything's sort of been, you well, know, and then, unraveled and crashed. And so can you speak to that a little bit? What, yeah. what has in, in, and I don't know if it, it, it falls under your responsibility, you have somebody else at Foley who's kind of focused on that, but what have you seen and needed to do both personally and in terms of if, if there's anything as a law firm, what have you all done to try to be both supportive of people in terms of well-being in the chaos of this year? But there's also a D&I aspect to that because I yeah. think the um, working from home restrictions and needs very much highlighted disparities that people may have had in resources, in abilities. Everybody doesn't have a quiet home with multiple rooms for everybody to spread out in to do their work. So what have you guys kind of what's 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 your perspective
0: so, and on I'll, that? I'll I'll answer this personally and just to be candid. So I don't talk a lot about my actual day job when I do podcasts just to, you know, that's, keep, that's keep great. That's okay. And so everybody knows nothing I say, you know, is also the the viewpoint of Foley and Lardner. But this is an issue sure. that while I have no professional credentials in, it's something that is deeply personal to me and that I've just spent a lot of time Trying to figure out um, just in my own life how to manage stress, as yeah. well as just just learning about it because it's it's interesting. But going back to what you were saying earlier, I think one thing that's problematic, and going back to the elephant and the rider, is intellectually we do understand um, all of us that a lot of our lifestyle stuff is not ideal. Like we get it. Right. Right? We're well, like, I should eat better. I should sleep more. I should exercise I watch more.
1: Netflix shows yeah, like, in a row. Like,
0: like, like we all get that. So I think for a lot of people, they don't know how bad off they are because they don't know how bad they feel. So it's not until they start to feel good that they realize just because we intellectually know these things. I know I should eat better. I should sleep more. I should move more. I should have more time for family. But to actually do those things is is very, very difficult. And so what's your on-ramp going to be? For some people, that on-ramp is rock bottom. Right. It's that health scare, it's my hair falling out, it's relationships um, that I've I've lost. You know, for others, I hope there's a slower on ramp, but I think the bottom line is we all do have to take charge individually. And so while I won't comment on my 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 overall law firm because I'm careful with these outside podcasts only speak. Yeah, sure. I only speak for my individual self unless, you know, I've gone through the like, you know, firm approvals of representing the firm. So sure, to be clear, sure. I'm not in this discussion. But one thing we have to do, while yes, I hope that all all law firms and corporations are doing everything they can to look at their systems to help their people. We all should be doing that. But, and this, what I'm going to say can be profoundly depressing or profoundly empowering is we all as individuals also have to understand that there is nobody else who's responsible for us. There is nobody who's going going to go around and be like, Chris, did you sleep last night? Chris, did you eat well? And now maybe some of us have spouses. (laughs) Who will sure, try to look sure. out for us? But I think hey, you're all, a little crispy, <laughs> right? But I do think we all ultimately understand that I have to look out for my well-being, and if I'm not, it will fall to the wayside. And so many of us, it has fallen to the wayside. And then you add in all the cultural, you know, societal things that make it worse. But I think figuring out personal boundaries and being quite dogged about them is, and I think 2020 has pushed so many of us to our breaking point where we've had to be like, all right, I have to stop work at name the time or I will actually, you know, hit that rock bottom moment with my family. Right. But we, but we have to figure out the boundaries. And I'm somebody who had this, my own sort of like personal wellness, my own health journey that corresponded with my professional journey. So Mm -hmm. in some ways I'm the worst person to give this advice because I have a lot of really hard personal boundaries, right? Like I will not give up my personal time to eat to sleep and to exercise, um, but for very short periods of time. Where, you know, if we have a big thing tomorrow, okay, maybe I can skip my workout. Sure. But I will not sign up for that in the long term. And I think too many of us are willing to literally sacrifice ourselves for the good of our for what we think is the good of our jobs, what we think is right. the good of our relationships. But ultimately you have less to give. You are right. not performing as well. <laughs> you know, right. that, that saying you cannot, you cannot pour from an empty cup. You, yes. If you are not there to um, fill your cup first, you are simply not there to help right. help others. You're not not of use. And I actually think for a lot of people, when you've been burning um, the candle at both ends for you know twenty years, this is not something you're going to change in a in a month, right? It, it may take exactly a couple right. of years. It's,
1: it's, yes, we talk a lot in our programs about that idea about. Well, one concept we use that's very similar to your uh, filling the cup is where do you hear this phrase? Put your oxygen mask on first. Yes. yes, you hear that on the plane, and they're like, you know, you do that before you try to help other people. And at first, it sounds intuitively like that's just selfish, but it's not because if you pass out, you ain't helping nobody.
0: That's right. the, the child next to you has no one to help. <laughs> I'm sorry, to that's get, right. And to get so self care,
1: yeah. and so even if you're saying, "Hey, my clients, my clients, my firm, my family, whatever." Okay, great. For their sake, you've yep. got to do something for self care. Oh. And I guess I, the one thing I'll I, I will I want to amend not amend, but uh, I'll take what you say and I sort of amplify it because it's kind of a little bit of a, a peccadillo for me. I, I think you're right. Our habits don't change overnight, and if we especially the longer we've gotten a certain way, the harder it is to change and go a different direction. I think I I take your message that, yes, it, it is ultimately up to us. We've got to make those decisions. And I think one of the principles that we try to advocate is that accountability with someone else can help in that process. And so, yes, you have to take charge of it, but it's not a bad thing to empower somebody else to say, "Hey, did you sleep? Did you eat? I noticed you haven't had lunch three days in a row. What's up?"
0: Yeah, so I agree with you, but this also, I think, is a personality type thing. So, Gretchen, Gretchen Rubin, she's the author of the Happiness Project. If anyone's heard of that, but she also has this, this framework called the Four Tendencies which are the ways you respond to inner and outer expectation. And I think this framework holds pretty true. So people who respond really well to outer expectations, right? Like you would never show up late for work or for that team practice, because other people yeah. are relying on you, that they respond They respond really well to external accountability, right? Yeah. So if they're trying to change eating habits or working out to put it out there or have an accountability partner works really well. Um, okay. another, another type, which I think I am is the questioner. I will respond to my own inner expectations and outer expectations if it makes sense to me. I don't, okay. I don't, once I've decided, I don't, I don't need you to check in on me. Like it's decided I'll do it. Um, yeah. the caveat for that, that, um, ab- the obliger, the person who needs the external accountability, they don't respond well to internal expectations only. So if it's only for uh, them, they probably it. won't do it. Um, there's the upholder who just, they do both. They're like that goody two shoes in class. <laughs> who just okay. does whatever the teacher asks because the teacher asked it. And if they want to do it, yeah. they'll do it too. Then there's the rebel who doesn't respond well to inner or outer expectations. And so if you're a rebel type, you may not also respond very well to an accountability partner. Uh-oh. But, Uh-oh. but Uh-oh. I one, I share that because I think it's a helpful framework. But, but I think that's right. We don't have to go this alone, but there is this need to get really honest as to who you are, how you are wired, what sort yes. of support, what sort of support you need. And to start that journey for yourself, because I think a lot of us are deeply tired. And so while it can be hard to pivot on a dime, I think a lot of us need more rest or more nutrients yeah, or nourishment or whatever than we can get in that, you know, week vacation that we took, right? That we're right. We're tired.
1: <laughs> so Well, yeah. The, and the model that, that we look to and draw a lot of encouragement, inspiration from is like the, the AA kind of recovery model, which has that, both of those components. You've got the you know, sort of bottom out. You've got to come to the end of yourself and say, hey, the way that things are going, I can no longer take this. I can't keep doing this to myself or to other people. And, and it doesn't have to be a substance or an addiction. It can be just healthy living, whatever. Yes. I have to want change enough to get over all the, all the things that propel me to do the unhealthy but easy things that I want to do, particularly under stress when I'm in that. Uh, I heard a great phrase not too long ago talking about, uh, you mentioned, I think, the the reptilian brain, the sort of sympathetic nervous system that's just fight or flight surviving. This person was referring to that brain as the snake. And what she said was, and here's the thing to think about, the snake wants cake. The snake is not going to say, hey, where's the broccoli? Where's the salad bar? The snake is like, what will fuel me really fast and taste really good? And that's all I care about. And so uh, it, it's got to begin with an individual decision and an individual commitment. And then I think people can help us. Uh, but I'd like your, the four paradigms thing. I'm going to check that out the Gretchen Rubin because that's, That's a good sort of overlay to this.
0: Fantastic. Well, it's deeply, and I know we have to wrap up, but I'll say it also gets deeply just psychological, right? And so I'm by no means a therapist, (laughs) but there's there's a lot of just looking internally at what is motivating certain behaviors. I do think a lot of people, um, and not to sound too negative, but you almost end up in this martyr category of like, but maybe they'll notice, they'll notice how much I'm killing myself, right? Maybe Mm -hmm. my family will notice that I stayed up late to do all these things, or maybe my office will notice, and. And the thing yes. is, okay, they may or may not, but what what is the motivation to get recognized in that way? Right. 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 Um, and then, and, and it just becomes very, extra, like I'm waiting for other people to notice, but I, I mean, and to get super kind of out there, you end up betraying yourself. Yeah. Your, your, your mind, your body is looking at you like, well, why won't you let me sleep? Why won't you feed me? <laughs> and yeah. So while Well, and, and,
1: and the body eventually will cast a veto vote and basically oh, say, we're not going any further.
0: We all get older. I think we've all been like, oh yeah, that's a real thing.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. I can definitely feel that because I used to be, you know, king of the all nighter or at least the super late night. And I'd get, you know, less than three or four hours of sleep, get up and kind of keep going in my twenties wasn't too difficult. I can survive. have a few kids, get older, you know, different metabolism. And I can't, I can't pull things out at the last minute. And that was another thing about litigation practice that was starting to be less of a fit for me. I'm like, I can't, you know, I don't know that I have the energy and resources to give this all that I can all the time, the way you have to as a litigator. And when I got to the point where I got trained as a a collaborative lawyer and mediator, I'm like, I also don't think it's the best way to help people with their disputes anymore, and when I took, you know, when I when I got that combination of, I don't have the energy and desire to do that. I don't have the motivation because I think there's a better way. Thankfully, I was able to find a different path for how to use, you know, skills that I have in conflict resolution and peacemaking mediation type stuff, but still be an advocate, still be a guide for people. And oh, that's how so I'm trying to I, reinvent I, myself in, in well, terms of and I
0: know, And I know we have to wrap. So I will give like a, a positive spin to this, which is yes. these are the skills we need so that we can keep going, so that we can keep doing, you know, so that yes. we can either keep doing what we love or keep doing things with the people we love or change to something that we love. And anything else, I think it starts with admitting it's not really working. It may be some, it feels sustainable now, but if something you're doing is not sustainable in the long term, we'll figure out small tweaks to be able to, to change that. And I just think it can be very daunting. And I think we're all in different places with that, but you know, to anybody listening, who's wondering, we'll just, you know, pick the first little thing, pick the first thing that stands out to you for someone. It might be food for someone. It might be sleep for someone. It might be movement for someone else might be meditation, but there's usually one little foothold that can get, get you started.
1: Yeah, I'm reading a book now about, it's called The Common Rule, Daily Habits or Habits in an Age of Distraction by a lawyer, actually, a, a mergers and acquisitions lawyer in D.C. named, I think it's Josh Whitmell Early. And it's really good. And he's talking about, you know, habits. Basically, you're not going to change them all overnight. You can't just go from zero to I'm running a marathon you know next week. But if you make little shifts, he talked about a micro, a micro shift or a micro habit, something that's basically you make a small shift that has a lot of payoff. And some of it's changing the mindset of if I stop long enough to recognize I'm not enjoying practice as much as I thought I would, or this setting I'm in to pause and take stock of that, and doesn't necessarily mean you're not a fit for law. It might mean you know you need to work with different people, but it mm-hmm. might mean that a different kind of law might be more satisfying if there's something that has your heart more engaged. And so find little ways to experiment and see you know pay attention to where does your heart come alive, where did you Where'd you do your best work? where did you just you know you were on fire you're in that flow state that people talk about that
0: experimenting um, is so important just that idea yeah. that you can experiment you can change you can try it and then you didn't like it and you know maybe it's you volunteered for something or you took a different assignment with a different person figuring out and whether that be professionally or personally and the hard thing about habits is some of it is that deep introspection what's the motivating force some of it is as little as i set my gym shoes out in the morning
2: yeah. <laughs> they just
0: were physically it's present
1: <laughs> so, i remember hearing a guy talking about yeah if i put my gym shoes on, I made progress over the other day. You know? exactly. <laughs> that. And then maybe eventually I'll get there. Well, Alexis, this has been delightful. I'm guessing we're going to need to have you back sometime in the future. And we can talk more specifically about more things. I, I, it, you just feel like a kindred spirit and we really appreciate your being here. I think our listeners are going to benefit from it tremendously. Oh, well.
0: Thank you for having me allowing me to talk about some of my favorite things. It's It's been, it's been great.
1: Now, this has been great. Thank you guys, listeners. And we will be coming at you again with some more episodes of the Thriving Lawyers podcast in 2021. In the meantime, keep thriving and keep having the conversations like this. If you don't have somebody you can have that kind of conversation with, you can hit up Alexis on LinkedIn. She is very active there and very supportive and encouraging of people. Like she said, people reach out to her in times of career transition because she's been there and she's guided tons of people through that. You can reach out to us as well. Michael does some coaching and things like that. And we love helping people find ways to thrive. We're blessed in this profession that there's not one path. There's not even 10 paths. There's a myriad of paths and ways to find greater satisfaction and to do good work. We're really privileged that the work that we do as lawyers can be really meaningful. So we hope that you will be seeking ways to do that and ways to do it sustainably. So stick with us. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Thriving Lawyers Podcast. We love hearing from our loyal listeners, so please feel free to email us any questions, comments, suggested topics, or guest recommendations at the following address, feedback at thrivinglawyerspodcast.com. The Thriving Lawyers Podcast is brought to you by Real-Time Creative Learning Experiences a national provider of continuing legal education and professional development programs that leave participants engaged, encouraged, and equipped to pursue meaningful and sustainable change in their practices, their lives, and the organizations they work in. And by Osborne Conflict Resolution, your experienced guides through the uncharted terrain of business and family law disputes based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Thriving Lawyers Podcast.